Genesis, believing God for salvation. Uh, we are moving in a, a pretty unique time in our fellowship. Paul and I just a couple of Sundays ago were back in the baptismal tank and we baptized another seven, including a Muslim. Glory to God. Isn't that awesome? Amen. Absolutely wonderful. Uh, a mother and son baptized. She had been married to a Muslim guy and, and just hemmed in and she had become a secret disciple of the Lord and had shared the Lord with her two boys. The marriage was in a mess and uh, it, there was brokenness and uh, real pain in that home and they were seeking to follow the Lord but had never been able to be baptized. And then uh, obviously there was, you know, there's pain there as she walked through life. There was separation and, uh, and she walked through the doors of our fellowship one day uh, several months ago and the end result is there she is being baptized and one of her sons on, on the same day. It was an incredible day of celebration. So praise the Lord. Turn to your neighbor and say, salvation shall come to the house of the Lord. Isn't it a good job that the Lord says, I will build my church and the gates of hell or the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. The things of death will not prevail against it. Uh, and it's exciting to believe that together. And uh, just when I was sitting there, I thought, I felt maybe should I change tack because aware that most of us here in the room are believers. But I am actually going to preach the message that God's laid on my heart because there's nothing more wonderful than actually opening the book again and seeing some of the wonderful truths that leap out of the pages with a gospel emphasis. Uh, and sometimes we need to hear the gospel again, don't we? The freshness of it so it comes alive to us hearts and I believe that as we journey through this weekend and on into Monday and Tuesday that I'm sure that many of us will rise up and we'll bring people along that's the best form of outreach talk to someone invite them bring them along and uh, I believe we'll see people come to the Lord so I wonder if you'd like to open your Bible to Mark's gospel chapter 10 Mark's gospel and chapter 10 and in a moment we're going to read the word uh, reading from 17 to 31, which is the story of the rich young ruler. Uh, I think it's very significant to be preaching this message because we are living in an age, aren't we, a day when everything that we used to be able to or people used to depend upon is being ripped away. There's never been a time when as many people are going bankrupt and uh, in real uh, difficult situations. And so it's good to bring our hearts back. We were driving along here uh, to come tonight and we were all, all three of us just saying how amazing it is to be involved in the most important work in the world preaching the gospel and reaching people with the love of God. And we said there is nowhere else that we would rather be tonight than right where we are today. Turn to your neighbor and say, he's really glad to be here. <laughs> because, you know, that, that is it, isn't it? There's nothing more wonderful than being together with the family of God. And we carry the greatest treasure in our hearts, the treasure of the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn to your neighbor and say, if you know Jesus, you're the richest person in the world. Hallelujah. Yes, we are. Isn't that true? Sometimes we forget that. If we know the Lord Jesus, if the Lord Jesus is in our life, we are the wealthiest people in the world. We really are. So thank you, Father, for tonight. Lord, thank you for this start, Lord. And as Pastor David said, it may well not have been uh, exactly how we want it to be, but you are in control. 
And so, Father, we pass this weekend over to you. We pray, oh God, everything that you've purposed will come to pass. We ask, oh God, for the dew of heaven to come over this congregation. We ask, oh God, for the spirit of freedom and liberty. We ask, oh God, that faith will arise in our hearts. We pray and we cry out unto you that this weekend would be a mighty outpouring of revival fire in the house of the Lord. We recognize, Lord, that revival does begin at the house of the Lord. It begins in the hearts of your people with a hunger and a thirst and a cry and a passion for you, Lord, like we've never had before. We pray, oh God, there would be a fresh ignition in our spirit and in our mind that, that we would seek you above everything else, Lord, that everything that would distract us and hinder us from coming through this weekend together and to see what you've planned for us, Lord, it would be laid aside and we would bring our full focus upon you that every distraction and hindrance would lie down, every voice that would lead us astray would be quiet and that, Father, we would be men and women that are found in your house, full of you and on fire for you. Lord, thank you that we can fan into flame the gift of God. Those that are far away from you, those that have grown tired, those that have grown weary, Lord, those that are downcast, Lord, lift up every heart. Let the, the flame burn brighter in our hearts and the light of God burn brighter in us, Father. May we be men and women filled with your fire and your Holy Spirit in these days as we encounter you tonight and over this weekend in the name of Jesus. And the people of God said, Amen. glory, hallelujah. Let's read the word of the Lord together. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. What a wonderful statement that is, isn't it? Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away and said, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to the disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Not with God, all things are possible with God. Turn to your neighbor and say, All things are possible with God. Hallelujah. All things are possible with God. Peter said to him, We have left everything to follow you. I tell you the truth, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields and with them persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. Here is a young man, 
rich in worldly wealth. He had everything life could offer. Here is a man who had everything going for him. And yet there was dissatisfaction on the inside. There was a piece missing. And here is a man who ran and fell at the feet of Jesus. But as he came to the feet of Jesus, he would become the only man who would go away worse than when he came. He had such great potential and was well respected in the community. If you were to go to it, don't turn to it now, but if you were to go to Luke chapter 18 and verse 18, you will find in there that it tells us that he was actually an official within the community. Perhaps he was an official in the courts. I've noticed something about very wealthy people. I do rub shoulders with a few of them. I've noticed something that they are often treated a little bit different from Joe Bloggs in the street. They expect certain protocols sometimes. I recently went on to a visit, which is the only time this has happened, and I would suggest to you probably the last time it'll ever happen. I went with a dear friend to the Bentley factory for a day out, a boy's day out. And uh, we arrived and we were given the amazing tour and nothing was too much trouble. And I've got a sneaky feeling that there was a little bit of influence there because there was some anticipation that my friend may well order a Bentley. And doors that would not normally open to us opened and I walked through with him. If I'd been on my own and I knew what about my bank balance, I don't think I'd have had quite the same treatment as the man I was rubbing shoulders with on that particular day. <laughs> wealth will open doors. Earthly wealth, sadly, will open doors in the world that poverty will never open. But when it comes to heaven, poverty in spirit will open doors in heaven that earthly wealth will never open. And when I talk about poverty of spirit, poor in spirit, blessed are the poor in spirit, I'm not talking about a determination to be extremely poor. We're talking about a reliance, a dependence on the mercy and the grace of God. Total acknowledgement. Nothing else in life will do except total dependence on the mercy and the grace of God. I have personally been brought to a new place in my life as I walk with God daily of realization that everything else I possess, whatever it may be, is absolutely nothing in comparison with the treasure that God has put in my life. Nothing could ever replace Jesus for me. And here is a young man who had everything. And actually the way he approaches Jesus tells us certain things about this young man. Firstly, although he had great wealth, he knew that there was something missing in his life. And let's be honest, friends, because I may well be preaching to a bunch of Christians tonight. Let's be honest. When we remove Jesus from the throne or when we, are, when we allow our heart to be sidetracked 
so that our focus shifts and the things in life become more important to us than God again, then we too soon become aware that there is a piece missing. In the jigsaw of our life, not only do we lose our peace, but we're aware of the fact that in our Christian life there is actually a piece missing. And so, friends, he knew this. Secondly, his wealth had not brought him satisfaction on the inside. Isn't there something amazing about being able to go to bed at night and put your head on the pillow and know that you are right with God and right with man? It releases you. It releases your heart. It releases your spirit. And, you know, I, I just love it uh, when Miriam and I just crawl into bed and the, at the end of the day of ministry and life and all that's been, uh, I'll turn to her and I, it's very personal. This is a good job. There's only a few of us here, isn't it? I'll turn to Miriam, my gorgeous wife, and I'll say, Miriam, come here. Let me give you a great cuddle. And we hold each other and we pray. What a great way to end the day, just treasuring the presence of God, the peace of God. Awesome to realize together that there is nothing more important in our lives than the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And so people know there should be more to life than what they possess. And to a certain degree, he recognized his need and then he knew to ask Jesus. Hallelujah. That's a great place to be, isn't it? When you're in your place of need, he knew to ask Jesus. Mr. Soundman, turn me down. Hallelujah. Well, I, for a few moments, I feel we could just come through the dialogue and look at the questions uh, and uh, the process that happened in this young man's life. And the first thing I want you to see is in verse 17. He asked the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Isn't that an amazing question? What must I do to inherit eternal life? Did this man actually think that he could do a few religious works and settle things with a holy God? And yet the crazy thing about it is we often have that thought. In society today, there's still that idea that, you know, a common belief really, that as long as my good things outweigh my bad things, then I'm going to get in. And of course, there's no way that that is in the Bible. No way that that is explained to us that we will gain entrance into heaven and receive eternal life this way. But this man had another problem. Here's his problem coming up. This man had a superficial view of sin and salvation. Sin, we must recognize, is rebellion against God. And aren't we still prone to that at times? Sin is not only external acts, but also an inner attitude towards God. And if we are not careful, we can soon trip back into our old ways. The man who believes he has kept the standard of God, like this man, has no revelation of his own hopelessness and condition without God's intervention in his life. And then the next point is so real for us, isn't it? He did not fully know who he was kneeling before even though he came with good manners and morals. How amazing it is over this weekend, friends, as we walk and journey together, 
sometimes we fail to realize who we are kneeling before. Who we are encountering, who we are coming towards when we come. I keep saying to my church, please don't come for a service. As I talk to people, I don't come for a service, please. Come to encounter God. Come to worship Him. Come to acknowledge Him. Come and do whatever needs to be done to really embrace the Lord. Worship Him with all your heart. I wonder maybe over this weekend that not only can we see salvation, but also as a church, Pastor Dave and Sally and the elders and myself alongside you, we could really move into something of the deeper things of God together, couldn't we? We really could. And I found at times in church life there just needs to come a fresh blowing and a fresh breathing of the wind of God. And the trouble is we uh, soon connect back into things like this guy, thinking, well, as long as I've done my church bit, A, B, C, D, I'll feel all right this week. I don't know about you, I've got a great hunger and a deeper hunger in my heart than I ever have had for more of Jesus. And I need him now more than ever. Turn to your neighbor and say, do you realize how much you need him? And so this man comes and he, what he does is he actually addresses Jesus as good teacher. And, you know, if we study that, you'll find it is actually coming and he's, he's using flattering language. We, we think that's a, a nice way to approach Jesus, but he's actually a little bit of flattery there. And, and to actually, he would know that you wouldn't address anybody with that to the Jew that the only person that was good was God. And so Jesus was realizing there was some cry and something that was stirring in his spirit towards him. But he challenged him. He said, do you really know who you're speaking with? And again, that's where we need to be sometimes. Lord, recognizing who we are coming before. I've prayed for weeks about coming to your church. I have asked that this place would be the holy place of God. I have asked that over these meetings we would walk in through those doors and encounter him like we never have. I've discovered something about humanity we have to want that, desire that, and be willing for that. I was preaching the other day in our foundations group about how, no, it wasn't that group, <laughs> different time, about how, and I may well preach this, how David was willing to embarrass himself and become undignified to bring the ark of God back into the house of the Lord. When the ark shifts or the ark's moved or the candle sticks out, our approach will make the difference. It'll bring it back. And that's been a cry in my heart 
saying Lord. Not because I feel the Lord is saying you are way down there and I'm right out here. I'm standing on this platform tonight saying, Lord, I need this. We approach it together saying, Lord, let this happen. So here's a young man who really did not know who he was coming before. But Jesus says to him, you know the commandments. And then, of course, Jesus reels off some of the commandments from the law of Moses. You don't do this, you shan't do that, you shan't do this, and honor your father and mother. And this young man says, these I've kept since I was a boy. And of course, we know that that's not true. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And it means we've missed the mark. No matter what we have done, we have missed the mark. So the young man is convinced he was all right when he wasn't. And then there's those lovely words, Jesus looked at him and loved him. What a statement. Jesus looked at him and loved him. Right where he was. That's what I find amazing about the gospel. That's what I find amazing about Jesus. He looks at every one of us right where we are and still loves us. He loves you tonight, friend. Everything about you. Everything about you. He loves you. And when you've lost your love, and you've moved away from your first love, he still goes on loving you. And I think when Jesus looked at this young man, I would suspect that Jesus had in his mind when he looked at him with love, when he looked at him, he thought, one day, son, although you don't know it, I'm going to lay down my life for you because you've come to me. And even though you don't recognize your need fully, you've still come. I like to think that the story is unfinished for that young guy. Although he went away sad on this occasion, something inside me would say, Lord, I would love it. I, I wish he'd put another chapter in and, and said, as a young man eventually came through. <laughs> I like a tidy finish, don't you? I don't like the idea of someone having knelt at the feet of Jesus and then gone away on his own, still distracted by the things of the world and the promises that life can offer and bring. One of the cries of my heart in these days for the church is for her to be brought to the realization that we are putting so much effort and energy into acquiring the things of the world. It fades away and comes to nothing. Lay up treasures in heaven. What a wonderful thing. But he looked at him. And he loved him. Sometimes I just remind myself in the simplicity of my own heart and faith. Just say, Lord, thank you for your love. And Jesus looks at this young man and he says, one thing you lack Go and sell everything you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Now Jesus was not saying 
that it's wrong to have wealth, but that it's wrong for wealth to own you. He wasn't saying that, that you, uh, you have to give all your wealth away as a general rule. He wasn't saying that at all. He was saying that there's one thing wrong with this young man because he had given his heart to the acquiring of wealth. He was saying it's possible to keep every external command and have one thing wrong and miss the mark. One thing. And that one thing that was lacking was a living relationship with God. Then we read one of the saddest verses in the Bible. At this the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. And then we continue with the statement that Jesus made. How hard it is for the rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And notice in this chapter, Jesus repeats that. Whenever Jesus or any of the scriptures repeat things, there is an emphasis going on. This is important. And I love the vocabulary because this is how he says it. He says, let, he says, little children, he says, children, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And here's the link that Paul's got up here. Actually, you see this verse here. This was why the rich young man came and knelt at the feet of Jesus. We don't have time to look at it tonight. Maybe you could read it when you get home. If you go into verses 13 to 16 and read the verses just before our reading, you will find this. Children, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as them. I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter in it. The rich young man heard that. He was there watching and saw it and heard exactly what Jesus said. When Jesus left on his journey, the young man ran after him, knelt before him and said, what do I have to do? And in this statement, Jesus takes us back to what he knows the young man has already heard. Children. Oh, there was a piece missing. A definite piece missing. He had everything. And he'd done everything. But he had no peace with God. Money is a marvelous servant, but a terrible master. And the love of money can cause us to lose out. And as already says, not a general requirement that we give it away, but Jesus knew that this young man believed he could somehow come and bargain his way in by his own works. Wealth and the things of the world had ruined the seed of the word in this man's heart. I think the reaction of the disciples is amazing. We read it. When they heard Jesus speak like this to the young man, they actually said, if it's that hard, who can be saved? If there's only one thing wrong, 
in this man's life. There's more wrong in my life. That's what they were, that's what they were thinking. They were following Jesus, but they were recognizing that Jesus is saying, there's one thing wrong in this young man's life. There's more wrong in my life. What hope is there for me? Who then can be saved? This brings us to our final statement tonight because I'm preaching short. Turn to your neighbor and say, he's a real short preacher. <laughs> Brother Rob on the front row says, we'll wait and see. <laughs> you know, a man with a big nose has usually got big ears. <laughs> Look, here's the key to this amazing story. What hope is there for me with man? This is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Isn't that amazing? With man, oh, it's impossible. But with God, it's possible. If a man trusts in his own wealth, he'll never enter the kingdom of God. If a man trusts in his own goodness, he'll never enter the kingdom of God. But God had sent Jesus to bring about the impossible. Hallelujah. Yeah. Amen. At one time, it was impossible. But because of the cross and the resurrection, all things are possible with God. What an amazing salvation we really have. Peter's reaction is interesting. He says to Jesus, we've left everything and followed you. He wasn't, there's a young man, he wasn't willing to leave everything and follow you, but we have left everything to follow you. And then Jesus makes that incredible promise. Blessings in this life and the riches of eternal life. But then, and this is the bit we don't like, especially Pentecostals. But then Jesus says, but there will also be persecutions. You see, Jesus balances a blessing with battles to mature us, to develop us and grow us. I don't thank him for persecutions. I'm not too keen on it. <laughs> But I think we're all aware that we're living in a different day and a different time is coming. But thanks be to God, through it all, we are promised incredible blessing and favor from the Lord. Then he makes that final statement that those who selfishly make themselves first will find in the kingdom of God there is a reversal. Turn to your neighbor and say, sacrifice never goes unrewarded. Hallelujah. Isn't that wonderful? Friend, God sees what you've given up. God knows what you've gone through for the sake of the kingdom of God. God knows what you've done without, what you've given away, what you've invested, what you've sown who you've left behind, the time robbed from you with your family, 
with your friends. The time robbed from you because of sacrifice for service in the kingdom of God. David and I, Pastor David and I were talking about that this morning. Seems a long time ago that, doesn't it? Because when we serve God, God knows what you've done. He sees everything. He knows everything. Your reward will be great in heaven. I can look at three generations and remember three generations in my family that have sacrificed and sacrificed and sacrificed. Time. Whenever I leave my wife Miriam, I, I throw my arms around her and I say, I'll miss you like crazy. I've already rang her and I've only been here a few hours. <laughs> And every time I go home, it's like a honeymoon. Glory to God. <laughs> Marvellous. It's great to be normal, isn't it? I remember as a boy coming home from school and seeing a row of bags in the narrow hall of our three-bedroom terraced home with a toilet outside. And in my heart, I'd think, oh no. Probably wouldn't see my dad for another three months, six months, a year. An amazing mother kiss him on the doorstep and say, God bless you. And then another day would come. I'd hear some excitement. I'd be in the top of the house, in the attic, with the skylight. And in the winter, the ice was on the inside and then on the outside. I'd hear some excitement downstairs. Big family. Seven in a three bed. Rosa beds. Here's some excitement. I'd run downstairs and I'd see, maybe three months later, a line of bags. One time, my dad had just happened to step out into the hall and I must have been about nine or ten. I said, Dad! And I was nearly at the top of the stairs. And I leapt off the top. Oh! <laughs> Landed on him. I was a big lad and he was a little fellow with a bald head. You could have told me, you'd have known, wouldn't you? Mr. Soundman. Nobody leaves family for the sake of the kingdom without the Lord knowing. And tonight, as I move to a close, just want to say to you, in honouring you and respecting you as a servant of God, whatever you have done for Jesus, I thank you. Whatever you have done for Jesus, great is your reward. 
And then my final call is this. In all your sacrifice and what you've done, make sure you don't lose your greatest treasure. Make sure Jesus is first. One thing he lacked, he went away sad. We have left everything and followed you. Yes. And great is your reward in heaven and on the earth because I would not change my life for anything else. I'm living the best life. I'm living the best life serving God. There is no greater calling and there is no greater purpose. Sometimes we're in the deep end of it all. We think, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? I could have an easy life. There is no greater life than serving Jesus. Leave it all with him and go on with God and make sure you protect the greatest treasure in your heart. Why don't we stand together? Hallelujah. Friends, let's make these next few moments a deep, a deep moment. Don't say anything that is surfaced. Don't say anything that is empty. Don't say anything that is waffle or just words. Let him have your heart. Let him have your heart. Maybe as we begin, maybe this isn't a night we would say, oh, what a shame. Maybe this is just how God wanted it to be at the start where we as a core group of people, come and say, Lord, we crown you Hallelujah. first on the throne Amen. as the treasure of my heart. Maybe as we are in these moments, the prompt of God would say, you might have let things slip or lost your first love. Maybe you've forgotten who it is you're kneeling before. Maybe you've forgotten that when you come to the house, you come into the holy place. And maybe we should say tonight, Lord, just come and renew me. Come and renew me. In the name of Jesus. Precious Lamb. Precious Lamb. Chaddala Basida. Fineste de David de Surumaka. Hallelujah. This is where we are. Why don't you begin to worship him? Hallelujah. Begin to thank him tonight for his amazing love. Hallelujah. Oh, Father. Hallelujah. Selevasa. Sita Sarosa. Stidisa Nanante. 
master. Master, rain down, Lord, your glory. Hallelujah. Sometimes we need to change the language you use, you know. Instead of just repeating your routine, what you do when you come to God, just change it. And sometimes the best way of doing that is just to stand before Him in silence. Stand before Him in silence. And only let words that are prompts from the depth of your heart come out of your mouth. Oh, Jesus. Spirit of God. Hallelujah.